One of my brother-in-laws is um, really quite tall. Now, I'll show you a picture. This is from quite a while ago. Um, You'll see by the age of our boys. We're in Disneyland in Florida. Um, Now, I'm on a good day, six foot one, on a bad day, six foot. So (laughs) it depends on what day it is. Um, But you can see how much taller my brother-in-law is than me. Now, I think his dad is even taller still, and his brother is very tall as well. And we were once over in the States seeing them. And I was talking to the three of them, feeling really intimidated by their sheer size. There is something about height that makes somebody imposing. David and Goliath is one of these all-time well-known Bible stories. It's made its way into popular culture. David, the famous underdog, goes out with very little and kills this mighty giant. Perhaps it also feeds into our kind of British culture as well. You know, the idea that we love the underdog. We'll be all loving that this afternoon as we watch football at two o'clock and hope above hopes that England can beat Croatia. But this is also a very gruesome account, isn't it? And I think we do well to remember when we start looking at these passages of the Old Testament that this was a very violent period in the history of humanity. And so we we have to have that in our background. But what is this account really about? What can it teach us today? Well, there are so many things it could teach us, so many different angles we can look at. But I really want to ask one question this morning and base our sort of reflections around it. Why does David fight Goliath? What is it about this man and his taunts that mean that David goes and fights him? Well, let's have a quick look at the backdrop and some of the things that are going on, first of all. So we've got the Israelites versus the Philistines. This is the backdrop of what happens. Now, John was explaining to us last week a little bit about the history of Israel and what was happening before we get into 1 Samuel. Israel has been ruled by the judges for a number of years, but at this point it has a king, King Saul. Now, King Saul is not the most successful king, but he is still on the throne at this point, even though David has been anointed by Samuel. David is now God's anointed and will become king in due course. But the people of Israel have had a long-running war with the Philistines. The Philistines were a warfaring people of the coastal regions. But this battle is very different. I'll just go back a slide. It took place in this valley. Now, if you know anything, and I don't suppose there's any reason why we should know anything about ancient warfare, but if you think about it, when two armies fight each other, and one is on the top of a hill, and another is on the top of a hill, and there's a valley in between... The army that attacks first is going to get cut to pieces by the other one. That's what happened in ancient warfare. So there is a real reluctance for either side to start this battle because they know what's going to happen. But the Philistines, well, they have a trump card. Enter the giant Goliath, a nine-foot-tall man who towers above everybody else. A warrior with all the latest fighting gear on. Look at verses 4 to 7. The writer's point is, here is a man who is well-equipped with the best that money could buy, with the latest technology of the day. He is enormous. He is nine feet tall. Now, there's been all kinds of theories as to why Goliath is so tall. Was he a descendant of one of the Nephilim? That If you've been on the tour, you'll know who they were. Was, Was he? Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Did he have some kind of rare medical condition that meant he'd grown abnormally tall and strong? Again, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But all we do know is that here is an incredibly strong man, nine foot tall and armed to the teeth. But even more than just his imposing signs, 
he winds up the armies of Israel. Whereas they're probably quite ready for a normal pitch battle, he wants a single combat, winner takes all. Look at verses 8 to 11. But the thought of this, the thought of fighting this highly up-to-date fighting machine of unknown strength is too much for all of the other soldiers of the Israelite army, including David's brothers. They all flee away from him. Even with the offer of King Saul's daughter in marriage, even the offer of wealth, even the offer of a tax-free life, just think of that, can't entice anyone to fight Goliath. Enter David. David, by this point in the book of 1 Samuel, is already anointed by Samuel. He is aware of the calling that God has on his life. And in this passage, he is described as little more than a boy. But how much little more than a boy? That's the big question. Because there's a lot of difference between, say, a 10-year-old boy and a 16-year-old. Well, if we do the timeline in 1 Samuel, we can more or less guesstimate that David at this point is 14 or 15, that sort of age. Now, our eldest is 15. He's playing the drums this morning. I won't embarrass him any more than that. He is taller than me. He is stronger than me. He can play the drums better than me. I said it to him. Now, I am heavier than him, but that doesn't seem to impress him. But there are so many of these things that he can do better than me now. He is faster than me. He is more nimble than me. That might be the age that David is at this point. David is already partly in the service of King Saul. He's experienced at fighting. Look at verses 34 to 37. He's already killed both the lion and the bear. God has been preparing him for this moment. I don't know what your life is like at the moment. I don't know whether you're going through easy times or really tough times. I don't know if you're asking those questions of the Lord. You know, Lord, what is going on at the moment? Things just seem to be a real struggle and I can't seem to find a way forward. Just have it in your mind that actually God is the God who prepares us through the tough times. God is the God who can work through difficult situations in our lives. David, possibly as a 12 or 13 year old, has fought a lion and a bear. And he recognizes in verse 37 that God has been with him there. That that has been God's purpose and plan. That God was at work when he didn't know actually what God was doing. What a reminder actually that God can use difficult times in our lives to prepare us, to grow us, to nurture us, to love us. What is God saying to you in your life at the moment? What is God speaking to you about that will enable us to live faithfully in the future? So God has prepared David for this moment, and he is confident in the Lord, absolutely. Look at verse 37. But he's also confident in the preparation that God has already given him. He has done this before. Now, we could put this all down to youthful overconfidence. But from this passage, it's very clear that if Saul is going to allow David to fight Goliath, Goliath is going to go down. David expects to win. And so he approaches the giant. Not with a suit of armor on, not with the latest fighting gear, but with a sling and five small stones. Now at this point, don't worry, I'm not going to sing to you, but a Sunday school song comes into my mind. <clears throat> Only a boy called David, you might know this if you grew up in Sunday school. Only a babbling brook, I can't remember the rest of it, Claire, you'll have to help me out. Something about getting, and then the sling goes round and round and that kind of thing. Now, some researchers, people research all kinds of things, don't they? But there's some research has been done on ancient Israelite slings. 
And the idea that David's sling was some kind of toy weapon is a little bit short of the mark. What David actually had was something that would fire one of these pebbles with such force that it'd be like a pistol. It'd be like a gun going off. So he goes to Goliath armed with this sling, with a stone, that then, as we find out in the text, could actually hit Goliath in the forehead and result in him dying, result in him appearing like he's been shot. This is no kid's plaything. So David goes into the battle with the ability, the confidence, and most importantly, the faith to defeat Goliath, but also God has provided him with the skills and a weapon to fight with. Let's come back to that question. Sorry, not that question. Why does God, why did David fight Goliath? Why does David fight Goliath? It's not for an ego trip. It's not because he wants to advance his career. It's not just about nationalism, but it's something very significant. What has Goliath done? Well, look at verse 36. It says he has defied the armies of the living God. Goliath has defied God himself. And David sees that the only way to confront this is to confront Goliath head on. Confront the taunts. Go for them. There is going to be no moving forward for the people of Israel. There is no way round this great big obstacle of Goliath. Life is on hold until this military problem is resolved. Now we can move to that. Sometimes in our life, we we can face obstacles, can't we? We can face obstacles in our path, those things that we just don't know how to deal with, things that can prevent us growing in faith and love in Jesus, things that can stop us becoming all that God wants us to be. I don't know if in your life at the moment you recognize there are obstacles, things that just seem to be in the path of life, and we're like, Lord, what do I do with this? How do I deal with this situation? Well, I think one good place to start is remembering who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. Remembering what God has already done in our hearts. Look at this from Ephesians 1 verse 13. Paul says, In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. God has taken residence in our hearts. David trusted in God. We have God's spirit living in us when we face obstacles. God in Christ is with us. Now, we still do battle as Christians, not per se on the battlefield with huge giants armed to the teeth, but with those things in our own life that would pull us away from Jesus. The Bible talks about them as the principalities and the powers. Look at Paul again in Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are things in this life that would undermine us, that would taunt us, that would try and divert us away from Jesus. And the writers of the Bible, they never shy away from the reality of evil in our world, whether it's from the flesh, you know, the the, the part of ourselves that is still desiring evil, from the world around us, the systemic evil that is in our world, or from the devil. Are there things, are there obstacles in your life today that are preventing you from moving forward? The Christian life is a journey, isn't it? If you've been a a Christian a while, or if you've just recently found faith in Jesus, you, you will know that actually the Christian life is a journey. We're forever moving, and we can choose to keep moving forward, to deal with obstacles, and to come to the Lord in faith, or we sort of stand still, 
or the more likely thing is we're going to reverse. So what kind of things could these obstacles be? Well, it might be that at the moment something is grabbing hold of our hearts. It might be something that is, is turning into, into a sin or, or a, a habit or even an addiction. You know, that next click online that takes us to that website that is robbing us of freedom and joy. That next drink that we, we know that if we go there, actually it's pulling us into an unhealthy pattern. Spending money on what we can't afford. It might be the overworking that is just making us into a person actually God isn't calling us to be. Adrian Rogers once said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Now, busy is a tool that sometimes Satan uses to, to get us to, to just sort of feel that there's this huge obstacle in our path to spiritual growth. And sometimes it doesn't take blatant sin in our lives to rob us of joy. Sometimes it can just be that life gets so full, we can't see a way around the obstacles. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that you may have life and life in abundance. Do you know God has amazing things planned for us? But we have to be prepared to deal with obstacles. We have to be prepared to do what David did and seek the Lord moving forward. Sometimes we can actually generate obstacles in our own heart. I don't know if you found yourself doing this. I know from time to time I do it, and we have to deal with them. Um, The last 18 months, I think, for all of us in different ways through lockdown has been really tough, hasn't it? And it can be very easy to sort of get into a negative spiral and to start to think of, you know, a problem for every solution. And we can just find ourselves having those obstacles that we've built in ourselves. As the people of God, we are not immune from obstacles. David wasn't. We're not either. But we have one with us who will walk us through that, who has already defeated the obstacles in our life. Now, sometimes moving forward is just literally a quick prayer. Sometimes God will move and he will do incredible things. But other times we have to be prepared to wrestle. Other times we'll need other Christians to support us. But what is the most important thing is we recognize the obstacle and move forward in faith. We went on holiday last week. And before we went away, I took the rather radical step of cleaning the car. Um, The reason I did that was I I took the car out and thought, goodness me, this car is an absolute tip. I don't want to sit on the motorway in the state of a car. Now, you can become immune to it. Those of you who let your car get like that, you'll know what I mean. You can sit there and you can think, I need to wipe my feet as I get out, not as I get in. And you become immune to it. You look in your car and you think, well, it's always been like this. It's not until you actually look with fresh eyes and say, this car really needs a clean. Sometimes in our life, we can get immune to the obstacles. They just become part of the furniture. And we start to just get used to them. But actually then Jesus encourages us forward. Don't stay where you are. Keep journeying forward. But we don't do it in our own strength. We don't just do it by trying harder. This is not a self-help passage. The God who commands the armies of heaven is with us. He is by our side. Now, in a few moments, we're going to take communion. And we remember that Jesus has already defeated the principalities and powers. He has already defeated that which would taunt us, that which would stand against us, that which would overcome us. Look at this from Colossians 2, verse 5. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. For David... 
The removal of this obstacle is absolutely essential if he is to become all that God wants him to be. What are those things in your life today? What are those obstacles that prevent me, that prevent you from just drawing closer to the Lord, from journeying forward into all that he has for us? The God of angel armies is with us. The Lord is our shield and our defender. Let's trust him. Let me just pray, and then Claire and the music team will lead us in a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you journey this life with us. We thank you today that whether things are good, whether we're facing serious obstacles, that by your Spirit you have sealed us, that through your victory we can be those who overcome. So we just pray for your help, your protection, your guidance, and your leading today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.